0: everyone we begin the readout tonight with some good news for texans ERCOT, the electric reliability council of texas the entity that's responsible for managing the flow of electrical power to most of the lone star state announced this morning that it has finally ended emergency conditions allowing the restoration of power to freezing texas homes for the first time since monday that's the good news But life is still far from normal. At least 20 people have died as a result of the storm. An 11-year-old boy died in an unheated Texas mobile home. Authorities suspect hypothermia. Three children and their grandmother died in a house fire. Officials believe the family's efforts to stay warm may have caused the fire. And college students are describing a frozen hellscape with dwindling food, flooded halls, and unflushable toilets. Seven million people, a quarter of the state's population, are now having to boil their tap water before drinking it because low water pressure may have allowed bacteria to seep into the system. In Houston, cars lined up for blocks at a water distribution site so that folks could get clean water. Governor Abbott, who has yet to reach out to some of his, his own state's mayors, was one of roughly 20 Texas officials who President Biden reached out to. It's a departure from his predecessor who would wield federal assistance like a weapon against the governors who didn't take the knee.
1: We talked, uh, I talked with the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, the administrator. Uh, this afternoon, I'm going to ask him to accelerate our response and request for, quote, it's a different declaration, a major disaster declaration so that we can get everything done that we need, that's possible. When any state As I said when I ran, uh, I'm going to be a president for all America, all red. There's no red or blue. It's all about commitment to the American people make to one another.
0: This past week has left many Texans, frankly, shell shocked, angry and looking for accountability. But no one seems to be taking any responsibility even after they were warned. Governor Abbott, who was already under fire for his poor handling of the pandemic, is blaming the grid operators and the very much not in effect Green New Deal, which I will remind you is still just a proposal. It it hasn't been enacted. The grid operators are blaming the state government. And then there is Ted Cancun Cruz, who doesn't seem to care either way, given that he planned a weekend vacay getaway to Mexico with his family to warm up and maybe hit the pool bar. The man with the giant overnight bag continued his apology tour on local news outlets and on Sean Hannity's show where he got a much warmer reception.
2: Last night, I flew down with them uh, to the beach uh, and then I flew back this afternoon. I had initially planned to stay through the weekend and to work remotely there. But but as I as I was heading down there, you know, I started to have second thoughts almost immediately because the crisis here in Texas you need to be here on the ground, and as much as you can do by phone and Zoom, it, it's not the same as being here.
0: Uh huh. While the Cruz family vacation was laughably ridiculous and painfully insulting, frankly, it was yet another reminder of just how craven Republican free market governance really is a governing style that puts a premium on selfishness, deregulation, and greed, unfettered, gluttonous greed. If this week didn't make that crystal clear, then just take a look at Jerry Jones the billionaire owner of the Dallas Cowboys, whose company made a huge profit after the storm sent natural gas prices surging. Who knew he was in that business? As Texas Republicans were turning on each other like the Red Wedding in Game of Thrones, others stepped in to fill the void. Former El Paso Congressman Beto O'Rourke rallied together an army of volunteers who made nearly 800,000 calls to senior citizens across Texas to make sure they had food, water and shelter. Then there's New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a favorite target of Republicans in Texas and out, who's heading to Houston after raising $2 million to help people in that state. And then there's Houston native Beyonce Knowles, who's working with her charity foundation to help provide grants for those affected by the winter storm. All of these folks are doing more to help Texans than the people who Texas taxpayers are paying to do so. I'm now joined by former El Paso Congressman Beto O'Rourke, and I have to start by asking how things are. We know that there has been that better news um, that I just mentioned out of ERCOT, but on the ground, how are things still looking in Texas?
3: It's still really tough for a lot of people, unfortunately. You mentioned at the top of your show, we have uh, more than seven million Texans under a boil water notice right now in communities like San Antonio and Houston, Texas, the fourth largest city in America. There's not enough water pressure in many of the neighborhoods to get anything out of the tap. And as that's happening, supplies of water and even food are dwindling because we've had some logistical and transportation challenges due to the ice and the snow and the cold weather and the lack of electricity for for much of the week. So it's really, really still bad. And we are not out of the woods yet. We're grateful that most residential electricity is back online, but there are a lot of people who need a lot of help right now. And I'm so grateful to President Biden and to his administration for seeking that major disaster declaration. That's the kind of help that we need right now in Texas. And for all the folks at a neighborhood level who are checking on their neighbors to make sure that they're okay, those who don't have transportation or access, helping them out, and all these volunteers who've been joining us on these wellness check-in calls over the last couple of days. It's, It's really been a lifeline for many of our fellow Texans.
0: You know, and of course, whenever these disasters strike, it hits people who are the have nots the most. It hits people of color the hardest. Uh, just to zero in just a, for a moment, the state government has seemed to be completely absent. It's amazing. I was watching the Houston uh, mayor uh, on Stephanie Rule's show this morning who said that he hadn't even talked to the governor at that point. Um, are there resources that are being fanned out to make sure the communities of color, black and Latino communities, Asian-American communities, communities that are impoverished in general, are getting more help?
3: I don't see that from our state government. I do see it from local leaders. You mentioned Sylvester Turner, the mayor of Houston, Texas, Um, the county judge there, Lena Hidalgo of Harris County, Rodney Ellis, one of the county commissioners in North Texas, Clay Jenkins, KP George. In, in Fort Bend, Andy Brown in Travis County, the local leaders really where government meets the road and, and is where the accountability is. That's where the action happens to be as well. And I think that's one of the bright spots in a really tough week. And in the absence of statewide leadership and the absence of leadership from our U.S. senators, one of whom went to another country in, in the midst of this crisis. Uh, so in, in the toughest of times, the, the best comes out of everyday Texans. And we are seeing that across the board. But I'll tell you, in these wellness checks, uh, the phone calls that we're making, we talked to a gentleman in Colleen, Texas. He had not eaten for two days, could not get out of his home. We called a warming center that provided transportation that got him there so he could get warm, could also get a warm meal. I talked to a gentleman last night. He had a stroke after Thanksgiving, uh, was running out of water and food in his home and was too embarrassed to reach out and ask for help. Thankfully, we reached out to him and we're connecting him with services now. But this is really a case by case, you know, neighborhood by neighborhood uh, effort and mission that we're all on in Texas right now. And we still need that help. So for everyone around the country who's wondering whether um, there's more that can be done. Yes. Uh, when you contribute to food banks, to shelters, to grassroots organizations that are helping on the ground, that makes a world of difference for us here in Texas. And we are so grateful to all of you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you mentioned the the, the junior senator, um, the, the excuses that are being made for him. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking to you about him. Um, but you did run against him for that job as a United States senator. In theory, you could have been in that position. People who are backing him up and making excuses for him are saying, "Well, what could a senator possibly do?" Um, and and sort of saying, "Well, there would be no point for him to be there. He's just eating extra food other people could get if he was gone." It, what do you make of that excuse? His excuse also was that he was just trying to do what's best for his family.
3: I think what you have is um, people who are in government who don't believe in government at a time that we all need government to work. And in Ted Cruz, you have someone who actually tried to overthrow the government and overturn a lawfully, legitimately, democratically decided election. There's got to be consequence and accountability for that as well. I think what what most of my fellow Texans have, have come to realize is we just cannot count on those in power, especially when we literally do not have power. In our homes, we have to turn to one another, to our local leaders, and then we've got to organize around future elections to make sure that we have people in positions of public trust who deliver for us and make sure that we're okay, especially in, in these darkest, most dire hours as we are seeing right now in Texas.
0: You, you know, and it's interesting because you mentioned, right, you have, you know, one senator who was focused on overturning the ele- a Democratic election. You have a state government that has been just in a mania of deregulation going all the way back to the 1990s. You know, El Paso got through this better because it was part of the Western grid rather than not being in the, you know, the state run sort of sui generis grid. Do you, I know it's a bit too early. There's still a crisis that's happening ongoing Do you anticipate that your state will rethink that model, that maybe maybe regulation ain't such a bad thing after this? Do you see that that there might be an appetite to sort of reintroduce government um, after this is all over?
2: Jen Saki.
0: Have you ever seen the House this dysfunctional?
2: Rachel Maddow.
0: If winning the election is his plan to stay out of prison, what happens in that election if and when he does not win it?
2: Monday's Back to Back.
0: Talk about the stakes of this back and forth, given Trump's behavior. What do you make of the statement from Hamas? Why they're doing it? What what do you think it means?
2: Inside with Jen Psaki at 8 p.m. Eastern, followed by The Rachel Maddow Show at 9 p.m. Eastern, Mondays on MSNBC. Hey, it's Chris Hayes. This week on my
3: podcast, Why Is This Happening, evangelical pastor and director of Vote Common Good, Doug Padgett, on the rise of Christian nationalism and what's at stake in this year's election we lack a story in this country about what our politics are supposed to achieve. And when we suggest to them that the common good can be your voting identity rather than being Republican or being a Democrat or being fiscally this or that big government or small government, but you care about the common good. People are like, Oh yeah, that, that I actually care about. That's this week on why is this happening? Search for why is this happening wherever you're listening right now and subscribe. No, it's not too early. Joy, Joy, this is the perfect time. In fact, uh, Because we had a weather event not unlike this one in 2011, lots of promises made about weatherizing power generators, improving the reliability of the grid, and look where we are today. So I think we need to have a mandate to weatherize all power generation across Texas. We need to incentivize additional capacity for storms and natural disasters like these that because of climate change are only going to become more frequent, more severe, and unfortunately, more deadly. And then, yes, we need to connect Texas to the national grid to sell excess power when when we're generating it and drive those profits back into improving uh, the infrastructure. And then in desperate moments like these where we need to draw down power, there needs to be a gateway for that to come through. So I think those are very common sense, really nonpartisan solutions that people much smarter than I am have come up with. Let's get that implemented And in the meantime, let's make sure that people who are without water, without heat, without electricity, without food, get the help that they need. That has to be priority number one for Texas.
0: Absolutely. Beto O'Rourke, who's doing more as a civilian than the leadership of his state or the two senators from the state are doing. Um, Can you please just tweet out um, the places where people can help out Texans if they want to? If you tweet that out and I'll retweet it and we'll make sure our show retweets it as well. Beto, thank you so much. Really appreciate you. And up next on The Readout, the doctor, I'm so excited about this, is in. Dr. Anthony Fauci finally joins me on The Readout. I have so many questions on the vaccine rollout and more. Plus, a big announcement about a Readout special event next week that Dr. Fauci will be taking part in. Plus, Ted Cruz is having a very bad year. First, there was the whole inciting and insurrection thing, followed yesterday by his airport walk of shame. But as bad as Cruz is, and he is terrible, he's not the absolute worst. Believe it or not, that reveal is coming up and the great producer director Lee Daniels is here. His new film, The United States versus Billie Holiday, about one of our greatest musical artists, Persecution, at the hands of the FBI is getting major buzz. The readout continues after this.
4: Ocean,
1: ain't nobody's business if I do.
0: Today, President Joe Biden traveled to a Michigan Pfizer facility where we saw the first COVID vaccine shipped out two months ago. The president declared that the country is on track to have enough doses for every American by the end of July. And he delivered a plea to those who still are hesitant about getting vaccinated.
1: We all know there's history in this country of having subjected certain communities to terrible medical abuses in the past. But if there's one message to cut through to everyone in this country, is this. The vaccines are safe, please, for yourself, your family, your community, this country. Take the vaccine when it's your turn and available. That's how to beat this pandemic.
0: While the U.S. has now surpassed 28 million cases and nearly an unthinkable half million deaths, we've seen a five-week decline in new cases. More Americans are getting vaccinated, but the winter storms have wreaked havoc on shipping hubs impacting vaccination efforts across the country. Thousands of appointments are being rescheduled as states wait for more supply. And this all comes as new variants of the virus are spreading raising concern that we could soon see a new spike in cases. And joining me now, Dr. Anthony Fauci, Director of the National Institute of Energy and Infectious Diseases and Chief Medical Advisor to President Biden. Uh, I have been really coveting this interview. Dr. Fauci, it's good to see you. Uh, I have not seen you since the World AIDS Day conference like two or three years ago. Uh, It was during the previous administration. I will say you look younger. I'm not sure why. (laughs) Um, But let's start by talking about this... um, this number, I, when, whenever I have to report the number of people who have died, Dr. Fauci, it just, it sticks in my craw. It, it's painful to say the number. And we're gonna, we're gonna hit 500,000 really soon. And, and you did, you know, I, I always have wanted to ask you this. So I'm just, this is the only question I'm gonna ask you about the previous administration. Did you ever feel at any point as you saw that number ticking up that maybe today is the day I walk out and I resign and I do a press conference and I say everything I know and maybe that will change things?
2: You know, Joy, I never really considered resigning because I felt if I did, I would really leave a vacuum of somebody who, as you know, I would always tell the truth. I would always be talking about what's based on data. And I was afraid that if I just did this symbolic walking out, you know, it would be gratifying for a moment. But then I would not be able to have the perch that I would have on the task force to make sure that we talk about truth and about science and about evidence and not about anecdote. So the answer to your question is, I never seriously considered walking out of that at all.
0: Yeah. Well I'm, well, I'm glad you did. I think a lot of people, I'm glad that you stayed because um, you are the trusted voice. I know my godmother pretty much listens to you and she trusts Dr. Kizzi, uh that created the Moderna vaccine. But I want to talk a little bit about whether or not people are willing to take it. But I want to start with the equities issue, because on vaccinations, you know, now we have a cold snap that's hitting Texas. We have all of these sort of difficulties in getting the vaccine out. But even when we didn't have that, I want to put up a chart that shows who's getting vaccinated. White Americans uh, make up 63.7 percent of those who've been able, who've been vaccinated so far. Now, this is only a little over half of those vaccinated who are accounted for. African-Americans who make up almost, you know, 14 percent of the population, about 14 percent are only 6.3 uh, percent. Latinos who are 15 percent of the population, 8.8 percent. Asian-Americans are a very a little closer to scale. Um what can we do about that? Because I've heard all of these anecdotes about, you know, when you open these federal sites up, these big sites open up, wealthy folks drive to the sites. They'll drive across town to make sure that they get it first and crowd out local communities.
2: Yeah. You know, the, the tragic part of those data, Joy, that really is terrible is that it's the minority population, the brown and black people, who are the ones that suffer most from the disease that you're trying to prevent by the vaccine, that they're getting, you know, a double whammy against them. Not only do they have the propensity because of their jobs out in the community to get infected, they have the underlying conditions that make them more likely to get a serious outcome. Now, when we have vaccinations available, that the proportions that you show are, are very disturbing. There are two major reasons for that. One is a bit of understandable vaccine hesitancy, but you don't want to hide behind that. It's that we've got to really extend ourselves into the community to get the access to minority populations that they don't have. And what President Biden has been doing since the day he walked into the office, and that is getting community vaccine centers up in areas that are also highly populated, by minorities, getting vaccine doses into pharmacies, including in areas that serve minority populations. And finally, going out there and doing mobile units to get to the not easily accessible areas. That's what we do to extend ourselves out there. What we've been trying to do, and I take this very seriously, is extend yourself to the African-American and Latinx population and explain to them that we totally respect why you're being hesitant. The history of how the government has treated minority populations decades and decades ago is shameful. It can never happen again, but that history gets passed down and you've got to say, I respect your concern, but these are the two or three reasons why you really need to get vaccinated for your own health, for the health of your community, and literally for the entire nation.
0: Yeah, well, my godmother watches this show, and you are probably the only person who could talk her into getting it. So I appreciate you doing that, even specifically for, 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 for the godmother. Um, but let's talk now about these variants. The, the variants are very scary. The idea that you have, you know, the South African variant, these variants that are coming from Europe, that, that makes it even more frightening. We're talking about opening schools with that out there. Does does the variant being out there make you more hesitant about the idea of opening schools?
2: No, the answer is no, and, I, and I'll tell you why, Joy. First of all, we all need to abide by the public health measures that I talk about 25 times a day all the time. The universal wearing of masks, the physical distancing, the avoiding congregate settings, the washing of hands, things like that. But you have to break the variants down into two groups. The variant that's referred to as 117 is the one that was dominant in the United Kingdom. And that's one that has the capability of spreading more efficiently from person to person. And it is even more virulent in that it can make you more sick. That's the sobering news. The encouraging news is that the vaccines that we have now, that we're administering, work really well against that variant. So since that's the one that looks like it's gaining momentum in our own country, and the modelers predict that by the end of March, it might be the dominant one, that's all the more reason to go ahead. And when vaccine becomes available, for goodness sakes, get vaccinated. The South African variant is a bit more problematic. Because that's the one that is now dominant in South Africa. It is in our country. It's not dominant. It's still at a low level. But the efficacy of the vaccine and the monoclonal antibodies against that is down about fivefold. We still have enough capability of the antibodies that are induced by our vaccine to give you some protection, particularly against severe disease. But we have to keep our eye out not only on those two variants, but on any variant that might evolve. And the way you do that, Joy, it's complicated, but it's simple. It's A, you continue to abide by the measures that we talk about, and B, get vaccinated when the vaccine becomes available to you. That's the best protection against this.
0: Well, Dr. Fauci, I have like a thousand more questions for you, but I know I'm going to get another chance to ask them. So I'm going to thank you for being here. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Really, really appreciate you. Uh, And I want you all to join us next Friday at 7 Eastern for our very special town hall. Which Dr. Fauci, members of the Congressional Black Caucus, and other medical experts are going to be a part of. They'll be discussing racial disparities in America's COVID crisis. Go to MSNBC.com slash town hall to be a part of our virtual audience. You'll have cute faces up there and to submit questions for our experts. And coming up next, you do not want to miss that. That's going to be great. Coming up next, today's absolute worst. You don't want to miss it. Millions of Texans continue to suffer in freezing temperatures without power in what officials are calling a failure of the state's power infrastructure. It's a failure by Texas political leadership too. Enter Senator Ted Cruz, who's facing a scandal involving his terribly timed decision to flit off to a resort on the Caribbean Sea. The same Ted Cruz who voted to overturn election results as a member of the Sedition Caucus and who supported building a wall to keep people who look like him out. People who cross the border because they want safety and a better life for their families. And yet he chose to cross the border into Mexico, abandoning his state in a time of crisis, he says, for his family. Irony. Look, this man isn't exactly the most liked member of Congress or possibly even by his supposed friends, given that someone from his wife's vacation group seems to have the New York Times on speed dial to leak their personal texts. But that nasty reputation he has? Oh, there's a reason for that his off-the-charts hypocrisy.
2: President Obama, and, and for that matter, Hillary Clinton and the Democratic Party, they're so out of touch with where the American people are right now. He go, goes and plays golf hundreds of times with his buddies. Um, he, he is not focused on the people who are hurting, who are paying the cost. we got a job to do, and we got a short window of time, and, and, and so we ought to stop taking recesses, stop taking time off, and just keep going till we get also, it done. Apparently playing a game of pool is a higher priority for this president uh, than, than it would be to go and see the humanitarian crisis he's created.
0: Now, this story doesn't end with Fly and Ted, because now his fellow Republicans are using silly putty logic to defend him, even after Cruz himself admitted he had originally planned on staying in Cancun until Saturday. Matt Gasmask Gates tweeted, Ted Cruz should not have apologized. Dinesh D'Souza, really, really reaching here, tweeting, if Ted Cruz is in Cancun, that means he's not using up valuable resources of energy, food and water that can now be used by someone else. This is probably the best thing he could do for the state right now. Mm. And then, of course, Sean Hannity making the case that working remotely is still work, even if your remote workplace is Senor Frog's.
2: You made the right call coming back. You also can be a father. There's also something called technology. We also know what teleworking is. And I think there's a lot of sanctimony and politics being played in this attack.
0: Uh-huh. But the best, and by that I mean the worst, comes from America's least favorite fail son, Donald Trump Jr., who tweeted, the hypocrisy of those trying to cancel Ted Cruz, who have been totally silent on their Democrat governor's incompetence is telling. Yes, yes, little Donnie. First off, your dad will never love you. And second, we are being very, very quiet about the Democratic governor of Texas. And you know, that's because there is no Democratic governor of Texas. The Texas governor is a Republican, man. But you and your party are so programmed to place the blame on Democrats that you're spitting out dribble on a swivel rather than condemning the daughter blamer who fled to sunny Mexico as millions of his constituents froze. Also, don't you have chores that you should be doing? And that is why today, the Republicans who clearly will defend, well, anything that fellow Republicans do, from insurrection to abandonment, are the absolute worst. It's been a bad week for Republican leadership, especially in the state of Texas, where they've proved they are all hat and no cattle. As Governor Greg Abbott has abdicated his responsibility, trying to blame green energy and Democratic policies for a state's own failure to regulate its energy market. His predecessor, Rick Perry, says that the blackouts are an acceptable sacrifice. That Texas residents should be happy to endure such hardship, to be free of federal oversight. Of course, Perry could have averted this disaster 10 years ago when he was governor, but he ignored calls for the state to winterize its energy grid. Oops. Wait a minute. Where have I heard? Before
1: it's three agencies of government when I get there that are gone commerce, education, and the uh, what's the third one there? Let's see, (laughs) I would do away with the education, uh, the uh, (laughs) commerce, and let's see, I can't, the third one, I can't, sorry, (laughs) (laughs) oops. By the way, that was the Department of Energy I was reaching for a while ago.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. The Department of Energy was the infamous third federal agency that Perry wanted to get rid of back in 2011 when he was running for president. (laughs) So if Republicans like him had their way. The whole country would have no energy policy at all. Perfect. However, the worst Texas Republican this week was the mayor who thankfully resigned after telling his re- his residents to stop complaining as they froze. He said only lazy people should expect access to heat and water. It's not just Texas Republicans who take pride in denying aid and services to their own constituents. Under fire for giving wealthy neighborhoods priority access to the COVID vaccine, Florida Governor Rick DeSantis is now threatening, get this, to pull doses if local officials criticize distribution methods good luck poor's. Joining me now michael Steele, former rnc chair and victoria de francesco soto assistant dean of the university at the university of texas lbj school of public affairs thank you all for being here michael so you know i got to go to you first on this You used to run this party my brother oh, and God. you know i remember a time when when democrats when republicans tried to rebrand themselves as compassionate conservatives well that's over now it's just all let the poor die If you don't like my policies, I'm going to take your vaccine so more people can die. And you're whiny if you uh, don't like freezing to death. What's happened?
5: Yeah, yeah. there seems to have been, uh, I guess, a zero sum uh, approach to governance. (laughs) That's the only way to look at it. I don't know who these people are. I I don't even know how any mayor or any governor or anyone in elected responsibility in a dire situation like this, their their response, their go-to is get over it.
6: <laughs> Just,
5: so <laughs> yeah. hey, look, I, look, I'm not going to sit here um, and, and try to, to you know, s- explain this in any way, shape or form. This is unlike anything um, I've ever encountered in politics. I know as the former Lieutenant Governor of my state, um, that if uh, Bob Ehrlich or myself had uh, during the crises that we had when the hurricanes came through and when we had the, the bad winter weather, if our response to the people of Maryland was get over it, stop complaining okay. about the cold, cold snap or all the water in your basement, um, you know, you, you don't survive that. And that's why the mayor resigned. That's why Ted Cruz now is piling all of this crap on his daughter, of all people. Oh, it's her fault. <laughs> Daddy, what? Can we go yeah. away? Sure. Daughter, glamour. <laughs> it makes no sense. It, it's
0: you know. Well, I mean, Vicky, it, then welcome to the show. It, you know, I, my understanding of government, of government is that, especially at the state level, as Michael just said, storms crises really define, particularly governors. And you're now seeing the governor of Texas. Try to blame a non-existent Green New Deal, which has never been enacted as law. Try to blame Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez with nothing to do with Texas other than raising $2 million for Texas and doing more than the governor's doing. I wonder how this style of governance can possibly keep going in a state like Texas where they have no federal government to blame. This is all on them.
4: It is, and this could have been averted, Joy. We, we could have kept the power on during this past week if we had winterized in 2011 as the recommendations were made. But the deal is the power companies were given the option winterize or go the cheaper route and don't winterize. And obviously, what are they going to do? But this is going to come back and bite the Republican Party, not just because of the poor form, but the complete lack of heart, of empathy, of any human emotion to the suffering that's going on, but to the brand that Texas has cultivated over the last two decades as a business-friendly state, the Texas miracle. This is where you want to come and and relocate your, your factories and your plants. But if you're looking to relocate to Texas and you see the mess that has happened in the past week, you're gonna have second thoughts. Am I gonna move to a state where things work most of the time, where there's kind of infrastructure to support My business. So I think that this is where we're going to be seeing the fallout over the short to long term. And I've already been hearing murmurs in terms of the business community being the one to put the pressure on Republicans because otherwise they're not going to
0: move. It's a really good point, Michael, because, you know, states like Texas, states like Florida attract a lot of people who come there for the weather. But if your state is basically a failed state, eventually you can't attract business. I mean, Florida looks like a cruel, not very smart state. Let's just put it that way. Their governor is vindictive and sort of sadistic. I don't know why anybody would move their business there, because that means your employees have to be there. Nobody wants that. And over time, tourism is going to suffer. So it does eventually start to bite. I, I think of this as sort of performative government, performative government government, um, Michael, where you have mm-hmm. like Ted Cruz performs insurrection because he's doing a performance, not it isn't about governing. And then he does this thing where he doesn't, you know, he runs off to Mexico. But instead of performing strength and, you know, saying I win. So what he then is weak. So now it looks like he's on the losing end of it. Let me show you Lauren Boebert. Do you want to talk about performative governance? Look at her. This is Lauren Boebert. She's a congresswoman from Colorado that don't like dumb govern- government. She was at a, a hearing and she, her her background on her Zoom is a whole bunch of guns. Michael, I grew up in Colorado. Lots of people have guns. Nobody I ever met in my entire life and probably all my neighbors had guns. No one ever showed them to us. This is stupid. How does stupid get you more votes?
5: Apparently it does um, because they're electing them. And, and that's I mean, she got elected. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene got elected, um, so I don't know what people are expecting or what they're looking for out of their leaders. I mean, I, you want your congresswoman sitting in a hearing with, you know, AK-47s as their backdrop? I mean, okay, I guess if that's your thing and that's what gets your boat floating, then okay, shoot a hole in it. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't Alan know. Alan has got elected for so one term. This- well, Yeah. Well, and, and maybe that's what it should be. But I think a lot of people in the country right now are shaking their head and looking at the GOP and go, <laughs> what the hell? I mean, seriously. OK, so what's the next level of crazy you're going to go to um, to prove what <laughs> a party leadership should be about the very thing that Victoria touched on? And that's governing. How do you govern? Yeah. Not just in the good times when you can you know, show how smart you are, et cetera. But in the tough times when those sparks need to be tested and put to put to work and across the board, uh, that has been a failing point.
2: Join MSNBC's Simone Sanders Townsend, Michael Steele, and Alicia Menendez as they team up to host The weekend.
0: We want to get the newsmakers, the people that are in the middle of what is happening.
5: It's about the conversation. A lot of Americans check out of conversations. We want to check them in.
4: Conversation, we begin, and that you continue all week long. The weekend,
2: Saturdays and Sundays at 8 a.m. Eastern on MSNBC.
0: But real quickly, Vicky, because, you know, on the other side of the aisle, you have somebody like uh, Governor Cuomo, who actually really got lauded for his really smart handling and compassionate handling uh, of the COVID crisis, only to now face his own scandal over not necessarily being super transparent about some of the deaths that were happening in nursing homes. Talk a little bit about that, because that then begins to mitigate the idea of good governance, at least from someone like him, who's somebody who's seen as having maybe a national future.
4: At the core of good governance is truth, it's accountability, and Mm -hmm. you cannot hide. You know, you can hide for a little bit, but ultimately it's going to come out. And in this day and age, when we have technology, when we have so many virtual files, when we have our text messages that can be made public, we need to understand that you cannot Hide. And I think this is what's so frustrating for someone who otherwise is very talented, is very smart, to think that they can get away with this. And I think that is the problem. And that's why we need more transparency. If people were dying, OK, this is a tragedy. But how are we going to fix it? Because if we don't have the real numbers, if we don't have transparency, we can't formulate policy to make good on it.
0: And, you know, but you know, the difference is Democrats in New York will make will punish him for that. Republicans would just be like. So that's the difference between the two parties. Michael Steele and Victoria De Francesco Soto will be back for the glorious return of Who on the Week. But first, as we continue celebrating Black History Month, award-winning director Lee Daniels is here to talk about his must-see new film, The United States vs. Billie Holiday, the untold story of the legendary singer's civil rights activism. I am so excited to talk to him. We're back after this. What is the government's problem with Billie Holiday? Why is the government always after you? My song, Strange Fruit. It reminds them that they're killing us. They say they want the names of my suppliers.
1: They don't want no names.
0: They want to destroy me. In the upcoming film, The United States vs. Billie Holiday, the great Andra Day plays the jazz legend who faced unrelenting attacks from the federal government after she refused to stop singing her anti-lynching masterpiece, Strange Fruit. As The Hollywood Reporter points out, it's one of two new movies, along with Judas and the Black Messiah, about Black Panther Fred Hampton that depict relentless campaigns by American government intelligence agencies to silence influential black voices closely after an impeachment trial. In which the majority of GOP senators showed their complicity in violence from white supremacist groups by voting to acquit the instigator in chief. And I'm joined now by Lee Daniels, director of the United States versus Billy Holiday. Lee, it's so great to talk to you. Um, congratulations on the film. Uh, I, I'm hearing probably the name Andre Day every day and talking about this <laughs> incredible performance. Um, but you decided to do something different. You know, my, my good friend Chris Witherspoon from Pop Viewers, he he made this really great point um, to me uh, and some friends. We were talking about about Billie Holiday and most of mm-hmm. people know Lady Sings the Blues. They know that kind of narrative yeah. about her, her music, mm-hmm. and even some of her troubles. But you went right for the political FBI attacks on her. Why? Mm-hmm.
6: Because I didn't know that it happened. You know, I'm a psycho fan of Lady Sings the Blues and I thought that she was Billie Holiday was a uh, a great jazz singer, a troubled woman that was, you know, in and out of jail. But I didn't know that she was a civil rights leader and that she was uh, that she kicked off the civil rights movement, as we know it, with this strange fruit song and that the government really uh, tried to stop her. They did everything they could to stop her. And so, and I, you know, I was I had to tell the story. There was there was no way I could not tell this story. It's too important of a story to, 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 to not tell.
0: And, you know, the, the 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 song Strange Fruit, of course, being about lynching and, you know, talking about that, particularly in that era when white audiences did not want to think about the things that their own cousins, friends, family members, police officers they trusted were doing it. Talk about making a film like that at a time when we just saw. You know, Confederate flags flying in our Capitol, when we saw the attempted lynching, a lynch mob go in to try to get the Speaker of the House to get the vice president. And that, to me, when I saw those crowds rush in, I thought that must be what a lynch mob looked like.
6: Joy, I had no idea when we did this movie that we would have uh, the George Floyd incident or even the noose at the Capitol. But it was an aerosol and it was a I did the butler and with butler, you know, it was hope. We felt I felt hope with uh, Obama in office. But with Trump, I just I did it because my spirit attracted me to what was in the air and, uh, and in the air were nooses. So, uh, no, I didn't see him, but we saw him later on.
0: Yeah. And we're seeing now law enforcement get a lot of questions. You know, um, you have the Capitol Police now investigating some of their own, um, for potential complicity in the, the, the crime that we saw take place on January 6th. How, mm-hmm. in your sort of, in the narrative of when we talk about, you know, lynchings and we talk about, yeah. you know, violence against the black body, how much mm-hmm. does law enforcement need to be talked about and the FBI, in, in, indeed?
6: Part of the reason I did the movie, too, was, um, my dad was a cop, and the only time I saw him cry—we're uh, from Philadelphia—and the only time I saw him cry um, uh, was when he came home after Rizzo, uh, Commissioner Rizzo, because it wasn't mayor then, uh, did what mm-hmm. he did to to, to move the, the move organization. It was an atrocity, and I think that uh, this is a dilemma. We are in a dilemma, and this is—it just seems like it's— from billy's time to my to, to the 60s 70s to today this country is in trouble this country is 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 in trouble and i only know how to help through my work
0: yeah and you do i mean the stories that you tell are so rich and so beautiful i have to talk have Thank you talked just a little bit about andre day her transformation yeah. into billy yeah. holiday is remarkable talk a little Thank bit you. about her because this is her first big acting gig
6: first big acting gig i think that she uh she trusted me, you know, often, I'm so, I'm so, uh, transparent with, uh, my actors and, uh, um, about my, my vulnerabilities and my flaws and, and, uh, she just, she just, she, we jumped off the cliff together in telling, she knew the importance and how important it was for both of us to tell Billy's story, to tell, to tell the right way. And, uh, I'm just, it was a, it yeah. was a gift from God, Joy. I thought, you know, she, I don't, God's been looking over this, Uh, Project Billy has been looking over this project by handing me her.
0: uh, uh, Absolutely. And and what do you what do you hope people take away overall from the film?
6: I think that if Billy, who was a queer black woman in the 50s, could go out and stand up to the government because she didn't look at herself as a civil rights leader. She was just living in her truth and doing her thing, that if Billy could do that back in the 50s, we must do the same. We owe it to her. We owe it to people that have died for us to do the same. Such as you're doing. You do it. You do it. You do it. You do it it every you do it every day. So we all have to be like you're too kind.
0: You're, oh, I'm you're too, too, real. too kind. You're too kind. I'm you're too kind. Real. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I'm going to keep you. See, now it's a hostage situation. So you're going to stay Uh-oh. right here because we have made Uh-oh. it to Friday and you know what that means. It is now time to find out with our wonderful special guest, Lee Daniels. Who won the week? Michael Steele, Victoria DiFrancesco Soda are back with Lee Daniels. Okay. So Michael, you are the veteran in this who won the week game. So I'm going to allow you, sir, to go first. Michael Steele, who won the week?
5: I'm going to go a little bit contrary in here. Uh, Ted Cruz won the week and he won the week. The, he won the week because this brother has given every aspiring and currently serving elected official a primer on what your responsibilities are and are not in a storm. Just so we clear
0: like what not to wear it's like what not to wear basically yes. okay um <laughs> victoria de francesco soto can you please can you victoria can I'm you just rescue this opposite. please who won the week okay okay
4: we are going with texans everyday texan neighbors texan neighbors who are checking on each other who are pulling each other out of ditches when they were on the roads in a very special shout out to my parents' neighbors who were taking care of them when I couldn't get to them because of the storm. So it's about the Texan neighbors this week. Yeah, that, that's wonderful. See,
0: that's good. See, see, Michael, that's that's how you do yes. it positive because yours was super <laughs> ironic. It was funny. It was comedy. But uh, I don't know if it was really the winner. Okay, we're going to give Lee Danes, who's our special, wonderful, esteemed guest. Sir, who, okay, in your I, view, won the week?
6: I, oh, I'm mad at him because Ted Cruz rocks my world for that one. <laughs> that was That was a good one. Uh, I was saying <laughs> I was saying the nine one one workers from the from Texas, I mean, all around the country, all around the, the state, what they've been doing is an incredible job. Half of them don't have uh, uh, electricity. They're in the same state. Their home it's a mess out there for them. And yet they're able to direct the um, people that are calling in. They are they are my heroes yeah. right now. Absolutely. Well, my my pick is not a person.
0: My pick is a little adorable thing. Snowflake. Snowflake won the week. And I'm going to tell you why. Snowflake, who was left At home with some human who also was ditched by Ted Cruz and didn't get to go to Mexico, got to spend a full 24 hours not in the presence of Ted Cruz. That's called Snowflake winning the week. I'm the host, therefore I win. Lee Daniels, Michael Steele, Victoria DiFrancesco Soto. That is great. Lee's new movie, The The United States versus Billie Holiday, premieres next Friday on Hulu. You must watch it. That's tonight's readout. All in with Chris Hayes is rescuing us now. Up next, the former FEMA director... Craig Fugate.
2: (laughs) Get the best of MSNBC all in one place every day, each morning in your inbox with the MSNBC Daily Newsletter. Understand today's news. Sign up for MSNBC Daily at MSNBC.com.